0: Good morning. <clears throat> you clapping for Josh for the? Did you get the hot dog issue cleared up? Yes. You did. I'm sorry. Yeah, one. Yeah, it's not like all you can eat hot dogs for a dollar. Which is the way we actually discussed this in the staff meeting. I we think, so. I think we misrepresented that. There are people who be. We have people who will show up to eat all the hot dogs for one dollar, but. <coughs> No, all the hot dogs you can eat for a dollar, each. Okay, how many have it? Say, I got it. Good, I'm glad you do. That looks like it's gonna be a great night for sure. Lots of people are showing up. I certainly add my condolences to the families who have (coughs) lost loved ones. Can I just say, my goodness, this has been a season. (laughs) It has been a season. And I'm thankful for the grace of the Lord. How about you? Um, I have no idea if any of those families are in the service today, but um, the uh, two funerals that will take place in this house this week um, are um, the Hervey family and uh, the Blaylock family. And so uh, I know that information is available for when you can participate in either the visitation or the service. So just continue to lift them before the Lord, um, and I, I know you will. This has been one of those weeks where I actually had two messages burning in my heart for us today. Uh, Very, very different from each other. Um, So I've prayed and I've deliberated and I'm contemplating. I think I'll just preach both of them this morning if that's okay with you. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm really kidding. (laughs) No, I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's guidance to give us all, including me, just what we need for this day. If the message that I'm going to deliver to you today doesn't particularly resonate with you today, I I encourage you still to listen and to tuck it away carefully because I can promise you the day is going to come when you probably will need it and you will want to refer to some of the things that I think the Lord has given to us. It is a topic that I have covered before, um, but today hopefully with some different light shed on it from the word of the Lord. How many of you have ever found yourself in a wilderness? Raise your hand. Anybody in the balcony? Yeah, okay. I think you know what I mean. I'm not gonna ask how many are in one right now, but I'm sure that some of you are. But it's a spiritually dry and desert place where you can feel so very, very lost. You can't find sustenance, you can't find water to quench your thirst, refreshments nowhere to be found, and you just basically find yourself wandering aimlessly. That's what it is. I have a a very good friend, a very godly man, a highly respected and and revered man, a man of great spiritual maturity, who has spoken to me of late. of a lengthy time of being in the wilderness. In fact, he's given me a lot of detail about what his wilderness experience has been. He actually says it was a five-year experience that he had to walk through. Now, thank God, not every wilderness uh, is a five-year experience, though that certainly can happen. But most of us as believers, we'll walk through at least a temporary wilderness in our Christian journey. By the way, and I, I, I really want to help you today. I really do. My heart really reaches out to you today. One of the, one, the several things, that might be a good day to take notes if, if, it's, if you're in a time like this, but one of the first things I want you to know, it's a common experience that while you're in a wilderness that Satan will try to convince you that you've taken a wrong turn, and that's why you're where you are. I want you to know that is a lie from the pits of hell. Can I get an amen today? Yeah, I need your help, folks. You're going to have to keep me encouraged today through this. How many promise to help me today? All right. Then go to Luke chapter 4. I'm going to read just verse 1 of Luke chapter 4. Matthew, Mark, Luke, third book in the New Testament. You know that. I'm reading just the first verse, and then I'm skipping to verse 14. The first verse reads like this. Then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness. Skipping to verse 14, that was his going in, what we just read, going in, now here's coming out. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. This historical account in Luke 4 shows us Jesus, the Son of God, at a specific time in His life, very much in the same way that you and I have specific times, seasons, callings, and reasons why God would choose to do a work in us. Verse 1 describes Him at this season of His ministry on the earth as full of the Holy Spirit as He's returning from the Jordan, place of His baptism. So he's empowered by God, full of the Holy Spirit, and has publicly gone into the, the waters of baptism. Now, for the general populace, and certainly for you and me, uh, but the general populace of believers at that time, the water of baptism was an indication that you're turning from sin and you're turning to a life birthed and lived in God. But the baptism of Jesus was not about that. He didn't have to turn from sin. How many of you know he lived a sinless life? Rather, his baptism was a public declaration that he was dying to his own will. Please remember with me that in the garden he said, Not my will, but thine be done. For since he was not only fully God, he was also fully man, which meant he had a will like you and I have a will. He had desires like you and I have. He was tested, scripture says, in all points like as we and yet without sin. So his baptism was a public declaration. I'm gonna do the will of my Father. I am not gonna live for my own purposes. God the Father has a divine purpose for my life and I am determined that that purpose is going to be fulfilled in and through me come what may. Now, wouldn't you think at this particular point of the life of Christ, being filled with the Spirit of God, publicly acknowledging that he's going to live for the will of his Father at his glorious baptism, wouldn't you think that that would be the perfect time that he would immediately be brought into the temple? Immediately, he would begin his teaching. Immediately, he would become an instructor in the ways of righteousness. That would be when I would have probably designed it to happen. The Scripture makes it, makes it clear that's not when it happened. That's not how it went. Coming out of the Jordan, filled with the Holy Spirit, the Scripture says that he was led by the Spirit where? Into the wilderness. Now, let me clarify something. It is not a wilderness of unbelief. though there is a wilderness that people can go into because they choose not to believe God. And and unbelief has a wilderness attached to it that I certainly would not wish on anyone. No, his was not a wilderness of unbelief, but rather a temporary God-appointed wilderness which can come to each of us because we have chosen the way of faith. And I think that's one of the first things I want to emphasize to you today. If you are in a wilderness today, you are there because you have chosen the way of faith. It's something that God appoints. It's something that He does. It's not our choice. It has nothing to do with unbelief. It's literally a wilderness you will experience because you have made up your mind. You're going to walk with Jesus. You're going to follow God. So please take special note that even God's own son had to be led into the wilderness. I'm gonna talk specifically now about why. Why and what is taking place when you're in the wilderness. Lord Jesus, I hope this helps somebody today. I know what it's done in my own heart and I just ask that by by the Spirit of God that we've just sung about, reach every mountaintop, search every valley low. There's not a heart in this room that you cannot penetrate today. No place you cannot go, Spirit of God. Help us today for the glory of the name of Jesus. The wilderness is a place where decisions are made. And it's a place where character is set. It's a place where God begins that initial work in our lives that gives us the courage to finish our journey of faith and to finish it well. It's where he sets that in place. There is purpose to the wilderness that you are in if you are in one today. It's where he gives us the courage to finish our journey of faith and finish it well. Think about this all throughout scriptural history. Moses was made ready for his true calling by having his own wilderness experience. By the way, his lasted for 40 years. And when God came to him and finally called him to what he always knew he was called to do, scripture says he was not only in the desert, he says he was in the back of the desert, he was in the deepest part of the desert. He was in the farthest away part of the desert, as far in the wilderness as you can get. That's where Moses was. And let's also remember he was 80 years old. In the natural, any of us would say his time for fulfilling the call of God on his life is over at 80 years old. But because of the wilderness, the God-appointed wilderness for him, it was actually his, it was his fulfillment was actually just beginning. Then there's David the sweet psalmist of Israel, he was accused of having no battle ability because his only experience had been in the wilderness. You may remember when his oldest brother Eliab said to him, David, what are you doing here? And and what about those sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? That's what his brother said. But what his brothers failed to realize was that David had learned the true strength of God in the wilderness, something they had not learned with all their military training, with all their repetitious battle strategies, all the things they thought they knew. Not one of them had the courage to face the giant, but something had been infused into David in the wilderness. God had set him apart. God had put him in that place to prepare him for the moment where he was gonna come out and fight a battle that no one else was willing to fight. He found the battle plan of God in the wilderness. He found the strength of God in the wilderness. Then regarding John the Baptist, in Luke 3, chapter 3, verse 2, the Word tells us that the Word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. It was in the wilderness that John received a revelation that his generation did not have. Nobody else knew it. It was it was coming out of the wilderness that John would would literally emerge and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now I ask you, how could he have known that? How could he have possibly known that? Except that God had given it to him, and God chose to give that to him in the wilderness, not in a palace. Not relaxing in his hammock, not in luxury, but list, not listening to his favorite worship music, but it was in the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is a place that seems to be barren. It's, uh, the wilderness is a place that in our hearts we would say, what possible good can come from me being here? What possible good? Have you ever said that before? Have you ever gone to the Lord and said, God, what what good can come from this? This whole season is messed up. I can't find my way. It's a barren place. It's a place where nothing is appealing to the natural eye. I don't like it here. Who's with me? I don't like this place. I don't like where I am. God, whatever it is that you're doing in my life, I don't like it. I know I'm supposed to trust it, but I don't like it. It's barren, it's dry. In the wilderness, there are no familiar landmarks. There's nothing that can give you your bearings on, on where, where you are. There's, there's, there's certainly no signs there. You're just lost. I've often told you that my wife Becky has an, an, an inner built-in GPS and it is so annoying that she's always right. Uh, she, she really is, she doesn't even trust the GPS on her phone or on a device nope, 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 and yet she, don't, she won't talk to you in north, south east or west, she won't, she won't talk to you in that, she knows by she, she just kind of sniffs the air and she goes, it's over there <laughs> go that way 47 years of marriage, she's never been wrong if you ever have her in the car, trust her more than you trust that GPS, I'm just telling you In the wilderness, there's no landmarks. There's nothing to show you where to go. There's no signs to say, go this way, pointing whatever way. And it seems to be a strange place because in the wilderness, the boundaries can't seem to be found. There's not even anything there that would would tell you that you've been here before. You Okay, now recognize that. No, not in the wilderness. The wilderness is completely unappealing to our senses. It doesn't smell good. It doesn't taste good. It doesn't look good. It doesn't sound good. And it certainly doesn't feel good. It's a place that nobody's rushing to get into and everybody's rushing to get out. And yet, for some reason, Bethesda, God takes us there. Any sane, rational person would probably ask the question, Why? Why would he do that? Personally speaking, I have been in the wilderness so many times that I now qualify as a certified tour guide. I've literally had people say to me, Dan, I know you've been to hell and back several times, and I need a tour guide for this season of my life. But I just want you to know before you uh, ask me to do that for you, my fees are astronomical. You cannot afford me, okay? I just want you to know that. Why? Why the wilderness? We are sent to the wilderness to prepare us for the divine purpose for our lives. I hope someone here today will at least latch on to that because I know you're in a wilderness and I know you want your why question answered. And while I can't and no one else on this planet can give you the, the satisfy the why questions in, that are in your mind and in your heart, I do want you to know there's purpose in this season of your life. It's dry, it's barren, it stinks, you don't like it, but you have been sent to the wilderness to prepare you for God's divine purpose for your life. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So why do we have to be prepared? It's because when we begin to see what God has called us to do, What's gonna happen is there's gonna be a natural opposition that presents itself. The minute you receive the vision of what God has said, I've called you to do this, I've called you to do that, you might get a moment of excitement about that and probably will, there'll be something that will be both thrilling and terrifying at the same time, that's usually how it happens. But then I want you to know just beyond that moment is gonna be opposition. You're going to be opposed by an enemy who is subtle and you're going to be opposed by an enemy who at times is not so subtle. You're going to be opposed with words from other people. You're going to be opposed by the circumstances. You're going to be opposed with strategies. You will be opposed at times by hell itself. Who, is, who has a, who's a witness in here today? And if you're not prepared for the opposition that is going to come your way, you will turn back in the day of battle and God knows that about you he knows it about me. Exodus 13, 17. We find God's own people coming out of captivity. And they're going into the promised land. Now, if God had ordained, if he had so chosen, he could have easily just translated the children of Israel, poof, and lifted them from here to the promised land. And that would have been no problem for God at all. They just were lifted from here and they showed up over here. Nothing would have prohibited God from doing that. But he chose not to do it that way. In fact, the scripture says it like this, Exodus thirteen seventeen. When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route, route to the promised land. Because God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. God knows our frame, church. He knows we're but dust. He knows our weakness. Verse 18. So God led them in a roundabout way. Where? I can't hear you. Toward the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. They cannot go into battle too quickly because they are not prepared. I hope you are applying this to your life. Thank God that He does not take us in our youth and in our our zeal and put us in that place that is the ultimate fulfillment of what He has for our lives because we would not be able to stand There has to be some kind of preparation of character that God begins to work in each of our hearts. How nice it would be if if we could just learn it all through reading a book or watching a YouTube clip or listening to a podcast, but it does not work that way. Where's my witnesses this morning? Some things simply have to be learned through experience. There are some things which God himself has to work within us. Exodus 14, verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said said to Moses, Why did you bring us here to die in this wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today, beloved. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. Get ready, get ready, church. Read it. Oh, come on again. Just stay calm. Put your hands together and bless the Lord for that today. Come on. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. The wilderness is a place. For you will learn that when your old enemies pursue you and you have nowhere to hide and you have no natural strength to defend yourself, you will learn in the wilderness this, stand still and see the salvation of your God and be quiet because God is going to fight for you, church. So let God fight for you. Exodus 15, then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert or the wilderness ashore. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. When they came to the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter to drink, so they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Then the people complained and turned against Moses. What are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help. And the Lord showed him a piece of wood. Most versions say a tree. Moses threw it into the water. Couldn't have been too big a tree. Moses threw it into the water and this made the water good to drink. It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to him. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in His sight, obeying His commands and keeping all His decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you." The wilderness is a place where you and I learn to trust the divine purpose. We learn to trust in God. And in the wilderness, Even bitter things become sweet. I believe, church, that the tree that is spoken of in this passage we just read is a type and shadow of the cross of Jesus Christ. When life takes a bitter turn, when the Word of God is not bringing comfort, when there's nothing to be found around you in this wilderness place, suddenly the tree appears, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ. And God says, child of God, trust me, trust me, trust me. There is divine purpose to your life. And if you will begin to understand that all things surely do work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose, even the bitter places will become sweet. You will not be circumstance driven anymore. Your faith will not be up and down like a roller coaster. You will walk on an even keel and you will say, I will trust in God. Though the mountains shake and be cast into the sea, though the seas roar and overflow their borders, I will not be moved by these things for I've learned to trust in God. He is my stay. He is my strong tower. He is my shield. He is my refuge and he is my hope." Can you say amen? I'll be able to stand in the midst of the sea, and though it may drown others, I believe God's going to make a path for me for all things work together for good. Exodus 16. There, too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. They left out the part about their backs being whipped until they bled and that they were utterly hopeless. But now you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. The wilderness is a place where even when the old ways begin to look better than where you are today, listen, the promises of God in your heart have the power to keep you from turning back. It's the place where you and I truly begin to live by, the promise, live by the promises of God. We don't live by our circumstance. We don't worship because we feel good. We worship because He alone is always worthy no matter our circumstances. And we've learned to trust in God. That's why we worship. Back to our original text in chapter 4 of Luke. <coughs> I'm reading it now from a little different version. A new King James. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. We read that. Being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him saying, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. What we see here is that the devil came to tempt Christ saying, command this difficult place to become something more satisfying and familiar. That's what he's saying. But Jesus said, no, that's not how men are going to live. We're not going to live by searching out softness in this life. That's not how the children of God live. We're not going to live by trying to command our difficult places to become easy. That's not how the children of God live. We're going to live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's how we're going to live. And I may be standing here hungry and starving in this wilderness and thirsty, and it may well be an unpleasant moment in my life, but I'm going to use the faith that God has given me to trust God like I've never trusted Him before as I walk through this wilderness. And I will not be sustained by bread. I will be sustained by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And dear brothers and sisters today, there is no way that you can learn that apart from being in the wilderness having a wilderness experience. I'm gonna take a bit of a sidebar here for just a minute. Some of you may be saying, Pastor Dan, I'm not only in a wilderness, I'm in complete darkness in a wilderness. I feel abandoned, alone. I can't see a thing because of the darkness. I'm gonna ask you please to indulge me, to share with you something a good friend of mine shared with me after he had done some research on our spiritual nighttime. And he says this, God controls time with light. He controls the seasons by changing the amount of light from the sun onto the earth. He changes the angle of the earth to the sun to create seasons. So then God controls the seasons of our lives by changing the amount of light on our way. We all know Psalm 119 says, your word, Lord, is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, you need both a lamp and a light. The lamp gives you enough light to see how to take the next step or two. About this much. But the light on your path allows you to see a little further. You need both the lamp and the light. When you drive your car... In the fog, you don't want the bright lights on because of the reflection against the fog, which makes it harder to see. In the fog, you want your low beams on, and you must focus carefully on how you proceed. But on a clear night, you want your high beams on so that you can further and put the pedal to the metal, and you can drive faster. So, in the same way, God controls our speed, listen, and direction by how much light he gives us. When God starts something new, he turns down the amount of light on your way. He makes it where you cannot see as far or as well as you did before. What happened to the day I could see? Pastor, I just can't see like I did before. Pray that I'll be able to see. God has turned the light down for you because he's starting something new. That is a sign that you are entering into transition. As you go deeper into the transition, you enter a valley or a wilderness experience where you can't go back to the past, but you can't yet get into your future. You end up in limbo where you feel like you're firmly planted in midair, and that's your wilderness. That is the place where God wants your fresh surrender. Not the surrender you made as a child. Not the surrender you made in any other earlier part of your life. Not the surrender you made even at significant spiritual moments of your life. God is desiring your fresh surrender, not a stale one. God has designed transition as a birthplace for the new. It is a place of transformation. But for God to birth the new, you must surrender to Him anew. No matter how long you've served the Lord and trust him. Isaiah 50 verse 10 says, Who among you fears the Lord and obeys his servant? If you are walking in darkness without a ray of light, trust in the Lord and rely on your God. But watch out, you who live in in your own light and warm yourselves by your own fires, this is the reward you will receive from me. You will soon, soon fall down in great torment. God starts new things in you and me at nighttime. God does some of his most important work at nighttime. When you and I can't see, let me give you some examples. Genesis one, the day begins in the evening when the sun goes down. Scripture says the evening and the morning defines the day with God. All feasts and the Sabbath begin at sundown for the Jewish people. God cut covenant with Abraham at night God renewed the covenant with Isaac at night. God renewed the covenant with Jacob at night. The Passover happened at night. Israel crossed the Red Sea. Jesus was born. Jesus was betrayed. When Jesus was crucified, it turned to night. Jesus was raised from the dead at night. When Jesus, the Son of Man, returns, the sun, moon, and stars will be darkened as in nighttime, so the radiance of his glory will be seen against a backdrop of darkness. God's greatest initiatives started at night. So why are you fighting it? Get back to Luke 4. I'm not going to have time for that other message. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Then the devil, verse 5, the devil taking him up on a high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory for this has been delivered to me and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, If you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship only the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. The wilderness is the place. It's in the wilderness where you and I learn that if success should accompany our mission in life, if the praises of man for a season should become our portion, That we will not allow pride and self-satisfaction to become our worship or even our story. We will remember who we worship and who we serve. We will remember that without Him, we have no story. Without Him, you have no story. That's something else we learn in the wilderness. If God doesn't sustain me, I won't be sustained. If God does not lead me, I'm not gonna be led. If God doesn't get me out of here, I'm staying here. If God doesn't put words in my mouth, I'll have nothing to say. If God doesn't give me power, I will remain powerless and never change. And so, if God should raise me up, if God should raise you up, if, if, if we should have the privilege of standing and speaking for him, if his glory should come upon our lives, then he is the only one that will get the praise. He is the only one that will receive the honor. He is the only one that will be worshiped and adored for all eternity. Because it's in the wilderness that we learn who we are. We are powerless without Him. We're directionless without Him. Hopeless without Him. We have no strength. We have no power. We have nothing without Him. But because of Him, blessed be the name of Jesus forever, we are given all things and we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. But if God should use your life for his glory, if God should use Bethesda Church, pray with me that the testimony of this house will always and only ever be. It's about one name. It's the name that's above all other names, the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Let the church say amen. Amen. You can probably come on. doesn't mean I'm done, but you can come on. Verse 9, Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from him, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you. And in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. I've saved the best for last. Don't go to sleep on me yet. In the wilderness, we learned that if ministry leads us to a fearful place, and frankly in this country, we are someplace between persecution and prosecution, probably only a short distance from prosecution coming to the church, that's where we are, but if ministry leads us to a fearful place that you and I will not doubt the faithfulness of God. Neither will we look for a quick and easy way out. Oh, that's tempting. It's so tempting. Standing on the pinnacle of the temple would be a fearful place. It's a long way to fall down. It's a place where Satan's tried to in, trying to instill fear and doubt in the heart of the Son of God himself. Will God's words actually be true? Will God's words sustain him? Will there ultimately be divine purpose in this fearful place? That's what he was trying to, the questions he was of doubt he was throwing at him. If you're the son of God, jump down. That same voice was at Calvary as the religious crowd shouted, if you're the son of God, come down from that cross and we will believe you. Same voice, same temptation, but you see, He'd been through it in the wilderness. It wasn't a new thing. He had been trained for it, prepared for it in the wilderness. And because he had been through it in the wilderness, when that voice, when that temptation came to him on the cross, when it came to him at the moment in his life that it mattered most, he was not tempted to give in to temptation and use his power to get off the cross so he could have. Many people who've never been tested and tried through the wilderness will probably try to take the easy way out in the days to come. I pray that God gives grace to His church, the church, to face the unique circumstances of this hour of 2021 and not to capitulate to the pressures and the temptations of our day, though they are great. But then look, we come to verse 14 of Luke 4. It's the verse which tells us how he emerged from the wilderness. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went all throughout the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Yes, Christ came out of the wilderness and he came out different than he, even than he went in. He came out with a word, and he began to teach the people who said, we've never heard it like this before. Our scribes use the same kind of words. Our Pharisees quote similar scriptures, but we've never heard it like this before. His word was with power. His word was clear. His word was with authority, with determination, and it instilled faith in the hearts of those who heard. And here's what I believe with all of my heart, Bethesda, the testimony of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is about to change. And I believe that one more time, one more time, one more time, just when people think that they've been able to conquer the testimony of Christ, one more time there is going to be a sudden awakening and society itself is going to say, who is this? Who is this coming out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Who is this? Who are these 120 people coming out of an upper room after we had sealed them up and told them that their cause was lost? Your hope in a savior is useless. Who are these people coming out of this wilderness? Who is it that they're leaning on? Where did they get such power? Where did, why does their speech seem to have power to go right through us? Why is our religion demolished in the presence? Why do we feel so undone? Why do we feel the presence of God? I thought we got rid of him. And I believe that we will live to hear them say, my God, what must I do to be saved? Church, it's a glorious church without spot or wrinkle washed in the blood of the Lamb. God will always have a glorious church. Doesn't matter what society is trying to give us. Doesn't matter what's trying to pull us down in every direction. Doesn't mind the never mind the compromise that many in the church are trying to come to. God will always have a glorious church, Bethesda. One more time, the church is going to wake up, march out of its wilderness, and the church is coming out in the power of God, all for the glory of the name of Jesus. the good news is this the wilderness is only temporary and we learn our lessons there and many are learning huge lessons right now so don't despise where you are don't despise it if the light's been turned down you got a good day ahead of you don't despise it embrace what God is doing. This is a God-ordained, God-appointed time in your life. And what you should do is stand to your feet and thank God for it. Come on, do it right now.